0: Hello, gentle people, and welcome to this week's episode of Indubitably. Gentle people, just people. Oh my God. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Also, welcome to our gentle, furry, and feathered friends as well.
1: Well, that's still not very inclusive. What about those with scales or other exteriors?
0: Oh my gosh. I'm being so exclusionary. I apologize. Also, our gentle, scaled friends. And uh, since my cat, as usual, is sitting here giving me the stink eye while we record, I should probably include our less-than-gentle friends as well.
1: Yeah, I had to shave one of my cats for the summer, so I'm not exactly on her favorite person list right now myself.
0: (laughs) Well, actually, I might have some good news for you today. Let me introduce you, along with all of our two, four, no, furry, feathered, and scaly-legged listeners, to our guest for the episode, Saskia Bogman. Is a newly graduated veterinarian. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Um, Who recently participated in a two week veterinary trip in South Africa. And while she was there, she was able to work on the wildlife alongside of a local veterinarian while also learning more about the culture there, including the controversial topic of trophy hunting. Saskia, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, guys. I'm happy to be here.
0: And more importantly than any of that, maybe you can tell us how to wrangle. Are crazy cats.
2: <laughs> cats are very, they're, it's surprising that they're even domesticated at this point, <laughs> but I have a crazy one as well. She's an orange tabby and she's very spicy.
1: <laughs> the orange ones are a special kind of cat, aren't they?
2: Oh, they are.
0: The <laughs> <laughs> Domesticated is a strong word. Yeah. <laughs> well, this actually leads us pretty nicely into today's subject, which is what my cat spends the majority of her day doing to me. And that is,
2: extra extra read all about it podcast tackles controversies that define your world listen to indubitably now
1: Today, we are going to be talking about the ethics and impact of hunting. We'll look at some of the more common types of everyday hunting, as well as big game trophy hunting, and in particular, what that looks like when it comes to endangered species.
0: Before we get into that, I think it might be useful to make a quick distinction between hunting and poaching. We're going to be talking about some of the potential justifications and methods for allowing for legalized hunting that can either minimize impact or even sometimes provide benefits to animal populations. Uh, Many states and countries have carefully crafted permit, licensing, and fee structures to ensure ecosystems and species are protected. Poaching ignores all of that.
2: Yeah. So unfortunately, poaching is a big problem in South Africa. So it can be locals who need to put food on the table for their families. They will illegally hunt animals that are either inside a reserve or even outside a reserve. And we all know about the poachers that love to kill rhinos and elephants for their horns and the ivory. So that is also all illegal.
0: I'm curious, what is the extent of locals poaching animals for food? What's the impact of that? Is that actually large?
2: I didn't see a lot of it when I was in South Africa. I just heard about it from the guide because South Africa is still a developing country. A lot of the locals are still quite poor. And so it is pretty common for them to either dig a hole under a fence or to even just cut the wires of a fence and to go in, set some snares or just take a rifle and just either shoot antelope. It's most commonly antelope in these reserves that they're able to get. But sometimes they'll shoot even bigger animals if they can just to feed their families.
0: It's hard to get mad at somebody for poaching if they're feeding their family, but it's easy to get mad at somebody for poaching because they want a piece of ivory to put on their wall.
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, China used to be like a big player in the trade for ivory. Luckily, they did make it illegal to trade ivory in 2018. So it's made it a little bit less valuable and it's helped a little bit. But the rhinos are still a big problem. And the ivory, especially in more central parts of South Africa, are still a big problem.
0: And the pangolins. Don't forget the pangolins.
2: They're so cute.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Which is the only reason we actually care about animals.
1: Mm, We'll get to that later. (laughs) So those are instances where it's pretty obvious where people are on which side of the law and what are the wrong types of hunting, the illegal poaching kinds of hunting but there's arguments on either side of the issue when it comes to legal hunting as well. So when we get to the topic of average run-of-the-mill legal generic hunting, what are we thinking of in terms of the, the rightness or wrongness of that as well?
0: So you're talking about just random rednecks running around shooting whatever moves?
1: I mean, that's kind of how it goes around around here in Oregon. <laughs> no, that's not, that's not entirely fair. There's a pretty big hunting culture that is very inclusive of all different types of people, different socioeconomic groups. There's uh, the people who spend big money on their equipment and gear. It's popular amongst many kinds of people.
0: All sorts of different color necks.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
2: So as far as the, the U.S. goes with hunting, there are definitely the states have regulations in place on how many animals can be hunted, during which season they can be hunted, how far away from their dens they need to be in order to be hunted, um, and these are all regulations put in place to try and limit animals from being overhunted and destroying populations completely because every animal plays a role in the ecosystem. Um, and if you take away too many of those animals, you're, you're going to destroy the ecosystem.
0: My cat plays a very important role in the ecosystem around here.
2: Oh, I thought you were going to say that your cat is subject
1: to hunting laws as well, meaning that <laughs> she needed to get a permit to stalk you around your house.
0: Well, I wonder if she does have a permit, shit.
1: <laughs> you wouldn't know, would you? Pray, <laughs> doesn't, pray doesn't
0: know what season it is. I would not. That's a lot of the justification for hunting is the restrictions are in place, I think, to ensure that there's not overhunting. But on the flip side of that, there are certain populations that need to be hunted to reduce the amount of animals in any particular region.
2: Oh, yeah. Like deer, if they're not. Regulated, they will overgraze the lands completely. So they're a big one that needs to be hunted.
1: So, were deer decimating environments before humans began to control their population inadvertently through hunting?
2: They had enough predators back then to where their populations were kept in check. But now that, you know, the predators are going away, particularly because of infrastructure by humans. Your populations are becoming much higher because those predators aren't as common anymore.
1: So it's a multifaceted problem. It's not just hunting that is responsible for populations being driven to the brink of extinction or populations getting an unfair advantage in the state of nature. We're, We're screwing things up one way or another.
2: Oh, yeah. And especially since our population, like the human population, is unregulated we are way over our carrying capacity of this planet. So it's definitely everything, the habitat habitat destruction, um, climate change, ecosystem changes. It's all playing a role in these populations.
0: Why do I, knowing Kelly, think that this episode is going to turn into hunting as a way to cure human overpopulation?
1: (laughs) I'm not that nasty, right?
0: I don't know. Your Scorpio side comes out every once in a while.
1: Yeah, but I, I tend not to think of people as expendable for some utilitarian purpose or some utopia end state. I think that there are probably other ways we could handle these issues than calling the human population.
0: <laughs> all right, boring. So deer are actually the most commonly hunted big game animal in all but six states. And in those six states, they're the second most common big game animal. And like Saskia was saying, Um, at one point in time, deer had plenty of natural predators and it's a little bit bothersome to me, honestly, to sort of justify, we need to control the deer population and therefore we get to hunt them because we over hunted their predator population first. (laughs) So that's what we're going to point to as uh, the reason why we're allowed to hunt them now.
2: Yeah. We're pretty much trying to fix our own problem and not make ourselves the bad guy.
1: Deer also makes sense to be a pretty common target of hunting efforts, not only because there are so many of them, but because deer themselves are animals that serve people in their death. (laughs) To put it pretty bluntly, they have a lot of meat on them and there are also things that they have which are ornamental or practical, like their hide. It makes sense that they're a prey animal for hunters They get the trophies of the antlers, and they're as much a part of the sport of of hunting as it is a practical consideration for their environmental impact with
0: large populations. And in other states, similar to deer, elk and antelope are commonly hunted. And what I like is in Hawaii and somehow Oklahoma, there's large populations of feral pigs that get hunted. I'm imagining Timon and Pumbaa. Oh,
2: that was a warthog. Yeah, that's not even a pig.
0: Is that not a pig? I don't know. Not I'm really. Not a no. <laughs> <laughs> um, on the converse of that, though, we have these huge populations of animals that are imbalancing the ecosystem. There's other animals that have much smaller populations, things like cougars or bears, and the hunting of these are highly restricted.
2: Yeah. Is that because of their numbers though, or because we hold them in like such high regard that we don't want to hunt those animals because they are magnificent, I guess, to put it lightly.
1: (laughs) That's an interesting distinction. I think that there are emotional aspects to what we deem as acceptable to hunt versus not acceptable to hunt. For the same reason that some animals we just won't eat because we'll have them as pets. Some animals we won't hunt because their majesty is so splendid that they are held above all other species out there.
0: The bear one really gets to me because this is another example of where we are, quote, fixing problems that we've created. I think most of the time I hear about a bear being hunted, it's in Yosemite. And it's because we've invaded its habitat. We've put food out there and the bear is like, Okay, this food is really easy to get to. It becomes desensitized to the human existence and becomes a danger to humans and so we kill it because we invaded its territory and then wonder why it's comfortable around us now. And that's the only way to fix the problem apparently.
2: Yeah, it's really sad that there's multiple occasions where animals, especially predators have to be put down because they're getting too close to civilization when really we are the ones getting too close to them. So humans, they tend to make a lot of mistakes when going into the national parks, and they like to get way too close to bears and bison. And even I think it was last week or two weeks ago, there was a bison in Yellowstone that mauled a human who was getting way too close to it. And so unfortunately, when when these animals get aggressive and actually hurt a human, the response to that tends to be most likely put the animal down.
0: And that's not on the fault of hunters just throwing that out there. A lot of people might want to criticize hunters for the deaths of animals, but that's just, you know, tourists looking for their selfie in Yosemite are now responsible for that animal's death.
2: Yeah. And actually my boyfriend's family, they still do hunting of deer. And for them, it's just mainly, they like to see where their food comes from and they, you know, they'll save meat for months on end from like one or two deer that they hunted. And it's not an amusement thing for them. It's more of a, You know, we worked for this food, they hunted properly, and there's ways to not hunt ethically. But some people who do it right, it's an accomplishment for them. They make use of everything from the animal and they respect the animal for giving its life pretty much for them.
0: Hmm. And I think hunters and the hunting industry in general and regulators are pretty highly in tune with ecological needs and how various species play into their respective. Ecosystems. Uh, many of these decisions are made with sustainability in mind.
1: Yeah, I had dinner with some friends a few years ago, one of whom is a hunter. And he said, very plainly, there's no conservationist like a hunter, which blew my mind at the time because it all seems really counterintuitive if you think about killing an animal. But they also want to keep the population sustainable so they can continue to kill animals. So it's a perpetuating system.
0: At its core, though, it seems very utilitarian. We want to do this so that we can protect a population or we can protect the ecosystem so we're willing to accept this death for the greater good. Right, what, if, what if these animals were humans? We talked a little bit about this in our veganism debate in one of our early episodes, so I don't want to go into it too much. But utilitarianism, just as a principle, could be used and has been used. To justify some truly horrible decisions in history. And so there are some strong competing ideologies that would suggest that we should not use a person as a means to any particular end, no matter how desirable that end is, but rather an end in and of itself. And if we were to apply that same philosophy to animals here, that would certainly undermine a lot of these justifications.
1: The thing about utilitarianism is that it does not exist in a vacuum from all of the other things that invade and steer our thought processes. So utilitarianism cannot exist independent of our emotions and sentiments and things like that, which is why we wouldn't do something that is the most practical thing for the most people if it hurt people, because we are emotionally tied to all of those other people as well. Ideally, there are definitely horrible people who aren't, but generally speaking, we don't want to hurt people regardless of how good it would be for others.
0: Well, and like you two were talking about earlier, uh, when it comes to emotional attachment, we've been talking a lot about big animals, you know, deer or cougars or bears, but some of the most commonly hunted animals are small game, like squirrels or rabbits or birds. And honestly, I never hear anybody really caring about that.
1: Honest to God, I am getting very close to pro- Bird hunting every day that the sun rises so early, 4 30 in the morning, that the fucking birds began today.
2: Well, the cats are working on that. So (laughs) I I know, right? (laughs) I know in our classes, they tend to always bring up like the philosophical question of the train, the trolley problem. Yeah, it's so much easier to, if you're not the one pulling the lever or steering the train and making that decision to kill one versus five. It's much easier to have someone else make that decision for you.
1: Or if the entities that are tied to the tracks are not people, but feral hogs, maybe, (laughs) then the question becomes more abstract and you can depersonalize it a lot more.
0: Yeah, I think so. If some animals get more sympathy than others, let's take the trolley problem. Would you pull the lever to save one bear if you're going to kill five squirrels?
2: I feel like we'd all say, yeah, save the bear because there's so many squirrels.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I swerve every time there's a squirrel in the street and I live near so many trees. There are a lot of times I've nearly crashed my car, avoiding squirrels. And that's putting myself. That's not, it's not a squirrel versus bear debate. That's a squirrel versus Kelly debate. And I'm still putting myself in jeopardy.
0: (laughs) That's going to be our, go to our Facebook or Twitter at indubitably pod and tell us, would you pull the lever to save Kelly if it was going to kill five squirrels? My brother is not
1: allowed to participate in this poll.
0: But that's interesting though, like Saskia, what you were saying is the value of a species life just dependent on the number of specimens that happen to be alive, right? If it's a bigger population, is each one worth less?
2: No, because actually we face this problem in veterinary medicine that, you know, people are getting treatments for their cats and dogs, but if someone has like a hamster or a guinea pig that's super sick, they most likely won't bring it to the vet because they're just like, well, it's just a hamster or it's just a guinea pig. I'll just buy another one from the pet store. So for some reason people hold, I don't know if it's like bigger animals or just animals that maybe are more closely interconnected with our families. You just hold them in like a higher regard. So, these smaller animals, they're just expendable pretty much.
1: It has to do a lot with their lifespan, too. You can have a cat for easily 15 plus years. A hamster, you're probably only going to get what a couple years out of, maybe. So, it doesn't seem as worth it to try to prolong the life of an animal that's going to probably die pretty soon, relatively speaking.
0: I had a chinchilla that lasted for eight years.
2: Wow. I don't know Despite if that's good your or bad, best but <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Right. No, Are you telling me good. I have to
0: deal with my cat for 15 years?
1: Easily. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't know if I, I mean, could take any more of this. My cat's 15 right now, and she is definitely she not given up on life yet.
0: <laughs> I think another potential qualification might be the intelligence of the animal. And this is why I think that we're attracted to predators. Plus just the cool factor. Let's be real. Like a cougar's badass, a deer is pretty lame. So, and maybe it's intelligence, maybe it's predators versus prey, which I think is oftentimes correlated also.
2: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I feel like the the animals that we feel have more intelligence or can either connect with us like almost in a higher level, we tend to take into a higher regard as well. And unfortunately, sometimes that's not always true. I've heard fish are really smart. I know their attention span is really short, but apparently they've also been found to be super smart. But people don't super care about fishing. Like You could fish all the fish in the world, and I feel like they wouldn't cause as much of a ruckus as if you were to kill all the leopards in the world.
0: Mm. And that's interesting because, because that also brings up another question. What about animals that are bred to be hunted, like fishing farms, for example? Or, and how would that be different than just literally farming, right? Do wild animals deserve to live more than farm animals do?
2: there's actually no difference like animals bred to be hunted that that is farming and in South Africa there was plenty of antelope farms and um, they also have lion farms and rhino farms and I think the biggest difference is just they're all out on a really open piece of land like cattle on pasture I feel like most people are more okay with cattle on pasture than like cattle in a little feedlot area Um, so these animals it might not like when I was there, I didn't even, I couldn't even tell it was a farm. It, it, we were working on the antelope out there, but and I asked afterwards, like, oh, like which reserve is this? And they just said, oh no, no, this is a farm. And I was like, wow, I had no idea. It didn't even look like one. Are you guys all on TikTok?
0: No. Oh God, here we go. <laughs>
2: Are you serious? I'm. I'm. Oh,
0: You're I the am, cool one. We get. I'm it. way
1: too old to be on TikTok. Is the thing. Well, anyway, there's a big controversy right now. The the discussion about farming animals just to be hunted made me think of fish hatcheries. And then I was reminded of this one guy on TikTok who decided to save all this frog spawn in his neighborhood that normally a majority of it would dry out and die. And he decided to save, he estimates, 1.4 million fertilized frog spawn. And then they all hatched. And then he had 1.4 million baby frogs basically in his backyard that began to decimate like the entire ecosystem of his neighborhood.
2: Well, it sounds like he was trying to do something good, but inadvertently destroyed the ecosystem around him. (laughs) There are no bugs left
1: (laughs) at all in that neighborhood, I'm sure. That's not so bad.
2: There are some good bugs too, Josh. (laughs) Yeah, we need all the bugs. They all play a role somewhere.
0: Well, one of the justifications that we can point to for what gives an animal value, which we referenced a little bit earlier, is how endangered that particular species is. And so maybe we can move the conversation away from hunting deer and some of the more generic animals and move it into where Saskia was in South Africa, especially some of the endangered species that get legally hunted.
2: I feel like South Africa gets a lot of noise from the Western nations um, about their trophy hunting because a lot of the media portrays the trophy hunting as bad, 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 but they don't talk about the good that some of it can do. And it's hard to believe that there would be any good coming out of it or that it could play any role in conservation. But there are actually several things to take into account when talking about hunting as conservation.
0: What I remember, this this kind of came to the public forefront in, oh, I don't know, it was like 2015 when Cecil the lion was a big deal. Did you guys hear about this?
1: Yeah, the lion with a name.
0: It wasn't on TikTok, Kelly, so I'm not sure if you heard of it.
1: I don't know if there was TikTok in 2015. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this was a huge deal, though. So for those of you who might not have heard about it, Cecil was a also just a cool name. Was a huge 13 year old lion, and he was known for his black mane. And he lived primarily in the Huangi National Park in Zimbabwe. And he was being tracked and studied by a research team from the University of Oxford, as well as just being one of the most popular animals in the park. I guess he was super acclimatized to humans. He would get real close to the cars, everybody got their cool photos. You know, everybody's a fan of this Cecil the lion. And then, enter the bad guy. Walter Palmer. Walter Palmer, boo, was an American dentist, (laughs) exactly, (laughs) who paid uh, apparently $50,000, so I suppose successful dentist, for a permit to kill a lion. And based on GPS tracking data, officials think that Palmer's hunter guide lured the lion out of the protected zone of the park and onto a nearby farm where Palmer was able to shoot Cecil with a compound bow.
1: And then everyone went bananas.
0: (laughs) B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So what's interesting about this was that Palmer was never charged with any crime as he bought his permit legally. Uh, And then charges were brought against his guide and the owner of the land where Cecil was killed. But those charges were dropped. So they say that the hunter guide kind of lured Cecil out of the safe zone of Huangi National Park. Uh, They put a carcass down where they knew it would be legal to kill the lion. And so that's why it was sort of questionable. Um, It was was killed off of protected land, but the way the lion got there was certainly sketchy. Um, So this caused some pretty big uproar uh, in the international community.
1: Yeah. Unlike a lot of other instances of illegal or questionable hunting, borderline poaching, whatever it is, this one drew the ire of so many more people. The outcry was absolutely unprecedented. Um, This guy who it could be argued, maybe didn't even realize the importance of this lion and just thought of it as another target to hunt. He was basically terrorized when he got back to the States and he had to shut down his dental practice. And whether or not that was justifiable, it was certainly not like any other response we've seen to this sort of incident.
0: But what's interesting here is, is the suggestion that Cecil might have been killed illegally uh, also implies that it could have been done legally. And in fact, two years later, Cecil's son, Xanda, was shot legally. He was shot by trophy hunters again in Zimbabwe, and what's interesting about this is Xanda was also being tracked and studied by the team at the University of Oxford, and Andrew Loveridge from the Department of Zoology at Oxford. Uh, he was the guy monitoring Xanda, and Andrew literally fitted Xanda with the GPS device, and he is quoted as saying that Xanda's hunter is quote one of the good guys. He is ethical. And he returned the collar and communicated what happened, end quote. So I think this is an interesting contrast to the story of Cecil, um, where somebody that would, I don't know, if I was studying a lion and somebody killed it, I would be pissed.
1: Yeah, it would seem counterintuitive to the research aims of studying a lion, presumably through their entire natural life cycle. I guess Oxford didn't care about that and was cool with this particular instance of the lion being
2: hunted. So the reason why Andrew might have been okay with that one being hunted is oftentimes these hunters, they'll pay a large sum of money, sometimes up to $150,000 to hunt these endangered animals. Um, And a lot of that funding goes back to protecting the reserves. Because as we mentioned earlier, poaching is such a huge problem there. A lot of money goes into Making sure they have anti poaching teams, making sure their electric fences are working. And actually, one of the rhino farms we went to, they told us they spend about $4,500 per month per rhino just to protect that animal. So, and they had up to 200 rhinos there. So, if you can only imagine the amount of money it takes to protect all of those from poachers, it's just, it's an ungodly amount of money. And so, these hunters that are paying, these large sums of money, it's going back into protecting those areas and those habitats. So it it is ethical and it is aiding conservation.
0: And is that to ensure things like Cecil can't be lured out of the protected zone by by a carcass on a farm somewhere where it's legal to shoot him?
2: Yeah, these fences and they help keep the animals in and they keep the poachers out. And by doing that, you're protecting these species, you're allowing them to breed with one another, to reproduce, and to keep the genetics going. Um, And actually in Kruger National Park, our guide was telling us that unfortunately, there's no big fence around Kruger National Park. They do have anti-poaching teams and they are like regulating the perimeter. But if an elephant or a lion or something exits the park, it's free game for the community to shoot that animal for food or whatever, if it's destroying crops, you know, it's free game to shoot them. So these fences are really important to keep the wildlife in and the poachers out. So if there was a different way to
1: fund these facilities and these efforts to preserve and conserve these animal populations that didn't involve like trophy hunting with massive permit fees. Would that be a sufficient way to have everybody satisfied? There's no hunting and the animals are preserved or is hunting like a necessary facet of this interaction?
2: I feel like if we had the funds to do that, it would definitely help a lot. I don't know if they'd be able to, you know, cancel out hunting completely just because especially Americans, they're very into hunting and they're one of the biggest um, groups that go out to South Africa to hunt. So trying to prevent Americans from going out there to hunt is going to be very difficult. But, yeah, the funding, that's the biggest part because, you know, activists out here will say, like, oh, just you know, more safaris, more ecotourism, but it doesn't bring in as much money as the trophy hunting. Like not even close. One hunt can provide up to like months of protection for these animals.
0: and it's not just Americans going, elsewhere. But I think that to answer that question, we can also look at the United States. In the last few years, only 5% of Americans hunt, which is about half of what it used to be. And state wildlife agencies here and the country's wildlife conservation system here are also heavily dependent on sportsmen for funding. So money generated from license fees and excise taxes on guns or ammunition or angling equipment They provide about 60% of the funding for state wildlife agencies that manage most of the wildlife in the United States.
2: Yeah, it's very, very similar here in South Africa. Like all these fees play a big role in helping to protect these animals.
0: And yeah, and here it's been incredibly successful at restoring the populations of North American game animals, uh, some of which were once hunted nearly to extinction. And in contrast, If we look at states like Wisconsin, a lack of funding prompted the state's Department of Natural Resources to leave staff positions unfilled and cut back on habitat management. Colorado, similarly, uh, I know that's where you are, Saskia, um, Mm -hmm. Colorado's Wildlife Agency cut tens of millions of dollars in expenditures and uh, trimmed programs that deal with invasive species.
2: Yeah, it can be pretty detrimental to these ecosystems if you don't have the funding to protect them and to manage them. Because like we said earlier, overpopulation can lead to devastating effects on the ecosystems.
0: Mm -hmm. Some organizations are estimating that without a change, there's a quote, I'm not making this up, Um, not that we make up anything in the podcast, but (laughs) without a change in the way we finance fish and wildlife conservation. We can expect the list of federally threatened and endangered species to grow from nearly 1,600 species today to perhaps thousands more in the future. So with hunting, populations are being restored. Without hunting, thousands are going endangered.
2: It's so backwards. It's crazy.
1: (laughs) It seems so counterintuitive, but I guess that's how it has to happen. The
0: animal trolley problem. Another utilitarian reason, as opposed to just populations as a whole, is sometimes individual animals can be dangerous towards other animals of their same species.
2: Yeah. So actually, there are some adult males of actually a lot of the wild populations, they will kill younger males during the breeding season because they see them as competition. They don't want another male's genetics to be transferred on. They want their own so in essence this is actually very harmful to conservation. We need these younger males to be breeding and reproducing and giving out more genetics to the genetic pool that's already present. So sometimes and one of the reasons for trophy hunting is to kill these adult males that are being detrimental to the population.
0: And I think oftentimes the hunters that are getting permits they'll pay big money for a specific rhino Or a specific elephant. Like they know it is Bob the rhinoceros that we are going to kill. Because Bob's being an asshole and he's a threat to the other younger rhinos in his pack, herd, whatever rhinos (laughs) congregate under in his neighborhood. (laughs) Exactly. In his hood.
2: Yeah. Those hunters, they know those animals as well. And, you know, they're oftentimes they're trying to help conservation as well. Obviously they enjoy the hunt, but they do understand that this money will go to conservation. And that by killing this adult male who probably has a big rhino horn or big elephant tusks, um, they'll feel happy that they were able to hunt such a magnificent creature. And in essence, they're also helping conservation by taking away this competition for the younger males.
1: So if animals are going to be killed either way, and there's a need for things like biodiversity and for maybe not so much intraspecies conflict, it's kind of like you have to pick which animal you're going to save. One animal is necessarily going to die, but one animal's death may be more beneficial to the species overall than the other animal's death.
0: Well, it goes back to, you know, there is that still utilitarian argument against this Right. Even if you are saving other lives, is that a justification for taking this particular life? But I also think it puts the onus on people who quote care, right? Everybody who's, oh my God, let's save the animals. Hunting is so horrible. If they don't care enough to put money into it and the hunters do, what do we do about that?
1: It's not that they don't care to put the money into it. Most people just don't have that kind of money. It's kind of interesting how all of the people, who can do the big game hunting like this are like also like millionaires or billionaires.
0: But there's certainly if, if 5% of the population is hunting, certainly in that other 95% of the population, there's somebody out there who can afford it. And I bet you some of those people are complaining about animal cruelty. I've seen the Sarah McLaughlin commercials. She could afford to donate some money to save animals.
1: She's Canadian. She probably does in Canada.
0: What do they have up there? Beavers? Are beavers hunted in Canada?
1: they've got moose, yeah, well, the fur trade was a really big thing. That's why most of the west coast of Canada got settled was fur trapping, but you learned something today.
0: yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> but also a criticism of this kind of utilitarian population argument is what you were talking about earlier, Saskia, like is population alone an accurate measurement of the good that we're doing? because we can look to canned hunting, for example, and in South Africa thousands of lions are being bred on farms just to be shot.
2: Yeah, canned hunting is actually a very unethical practice. It's it's one of the bad types of hunting because yes, these animals are being bred on farms, they're getting very used to people. They're not even scared or anxious around people anymore because they've been raised by them. So then when these wealthy foreign trophy hunters come to shoot a lion, first of all, it's not even in a really big habitat area where The hunter has to, you know, track the animal. It's in a pretty small enclosure. Often it's lined with sand so that you can easily follow the prince. If he's hiding behind a tree or something, you can easily follow the prince to the animal. And the animal doesn't have their fight or flight response because they've been so habituated to humans. So it's just an easy kill for the trophy hunters. And, you know, they get their trophy. The owner gets their money. And that's that. And it's, it's actually a poor way of hunting. Um, I've heard some people say that it's, it's actually keeping the lion populations alive, um, because there is so much breeding, but you're going to get a lot of inbreeding and eventually you're going to get a lot of lions. I mean, they're going to get killed anyways, but usually these lions, they're only being bred for canned hunting. They're not going out to other reserves and you know sharing their genetics with other lions and breeding with other lions their sole purpose is to be hunted
1: this seems like the kind of hunting that has the least honor possible associated with it this involves basically no effort and just having some money and i've heard stories of other areas where hunting big game happens and basically Everything except firing the bullet itself was arranged by someone else, even even pointing the gun at the target. And then the person gets to take credit for the kill and feel like a really big man, I'm sure. I, I just, this really turns me off of hunting.
0: This reminds me a lot of our Everest episode where we talk about dangerous jobs and people get their selfie on top of Mount Everest after the Sherpas have done all the work to get them there. <laughs> so check out that episode if you haven't. <laughs> but but on the flip side of this, there's 5,000, to give some numbers here, 5,000 lions in captivity in South Africa in around 160 of these farms versus 2,000 lions in the wild. So even if the lions are inbred, even if they're going to get hunted and killed eventually, uh, is there not some benefit? Like they're still being born. There are still lions where lions would not have existed otherwise.
2: That's true. But you also have to be careful about in the wild because um, a lot of South Africa is actually fenced off and has a landowner. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of those numbers are more like on the reserves. Um, but I still think even if you have 5,000, if they're on reserves and you know they're living out their life and they're being able to breed and reproduce, then yeah, I think it's fine to count those numbers. But if these animals are going to be detrimental to conservation with inbreeding, then it's, it's not providing any benefit. They need to be doing it right. And they need to be taking in new lions to bring in new genetics and hopefully moving some of their lions onto other reserves. And they have to try and do it a little bit ethically rather than just raising all these lions, getting them habituated to people and then selling these easy kills to hunters.
1: Yeah, I agree. I don't think that there's any real purpose that is served other than the hunting process, just to have these lions bred with no interaction with the environment, no contribution to biodiversity. If there was some way that they interacted with the world outside of this context, then the numbers would mean something. But being as isolated as they are, it doesn't really do anything to contribute to the overall issue of preservation.
0: I mean, they're basically like chickens at this point, factory farmed chickens.
2: Pretty much. They're in really small enclosures. They can't, you know, engage in their natural habits and their natural behaviors. Um, it's really sad, these animals. And it's its not like a zoo because, zoo, you know, animals in zoos, they're in enclosures. But the zookeepers, they're providing enrichment for these animals and they're trying to keep them engaged and try and maintain their natural behaviors. But these lions in these canned hunting farms, they're just a bunch of them jam-packed into small enclosures. They get fed in a certain area and that's it.
1: It makes me think about the thing we were discussing earlier about which animals are we accepting that that's an okay thing to do. Like chickens, people accept that that's okay because chickens are small. They don't live a very long time. They might be kind of dumb and to see a, to see a lion constrained in that way, it seems like the ultimate like perversion of their natural instincts, they're noble creatures. They are impressive, fierce creatures. And to be constrained like that seems like a a, a true evil.
2: Yeah. You have a good point. And I mean, I know here in the States, it's a little bit unrelated, but you know, they're trying to pass regulations to where like chickens can express their normal behaviors. And like, How big should a cage be in order to let them express those behaviors like ruffling their feathers and, you know, jumping up onto a perch? But there's still there's not a bunch of great regulations about it. And like you said, it doesn't affect people the same way as lions in an enclosure.
0: It's so interesting how our view of these particular animals, like we talked about earlier, you know, we put everything you said about lions right now, Kelly, is something that we've assigned to them right? And everything that we said about chickens, sorry for any of our chicken listeners, anything we've said about chickens, we've assigned that to chickens. It's interesting how our view of the animals interacts with our condemnation or support of their hunting. And that kind of all mixes together with these utilitarian arguments of population control and effect on ecosystems. And it makes the decision of whether or not hunting is justified or exactly what justifiable hunting should look like, it makes it a really complicated decision.
2: Yeah, so another factor to take into account is the relationships that countries have with other countries. So when I was in South Africa, a lot of the wildlife caretakers were complaining about how Western countries such as the United States is trying to impose so many regulations on the the South African country um, for their wildlife to try and protect their wildlife but they don't understand that these regulations are doing more harm than good because they've never lived in South Africa. They don't know what it's like to live with the wildlife there. Um, So they're imposing all these regulations without having a complete understanding about what they're doing. One of the other things I saw in South Africa was leopards. They are considered a pest by a lot of the locals there. Um, Here in the States, we see leopards and we're like, wow, they're beautiful, magnificent cats. But in South Africa, they are attacking antelopes. They're destroying people's livelihoods. And these animals will easily get shot by the farmers because those antelope are their livelihoods. And this leopard is a pest. So even though we in the United States hold them in such a high regard, people in South Africa, they do not like leopards, especially if they have an antelope farm. Um, And it's very, they're more than willing to shoot the leopard regardless of the consequences. But let's say had that leopard been relocated to like a reserve that allows hunting, um, then that death could have actually meant something because the money the hunter pays to hunt that leopard could go back into preserving the habitat that other animals are living on. And the meat can also go back into the local communities. I think that
1: perfectly encapsulates a larger conversation about how there's not just one type of relationship that people have with hunting overall as well. A lot of hunting, we've been talking about population control and food and things like that, but there's also a lot of cultural practice tied to hunting and probably not so much in terms of the big game hunting, but overall there is something important to a lot of people to have Hunting as a central part of their culture, thinking specifically of indigenous tribes in uh, Northern Canada, for example, that do whale hunts. And a lot of people think that it's really disgusting to hunt a whale. They're kind of a majestic animal too, like lions and other animals, but it's an important cultural practice. And we don't understand that context enough to demean it, essentially.
0: I think all of this might bring us to another section of this topic. Which is, it's really easy for somebody sitting in their living room at their computer in the US to see somebody like Cecil, the lion, get killed and condemn that without taking a second to look at the environmental impact that we make just in terms of our consumerism. Like what you're saying, Saskia, as the United States tries to control South African policy to, quote, protect animals, we as a country are probably responsible for the deaths and extinction of more species than any other country in the world, just because of the level of consumption that we have.
1: True, I think it is important to note that a lot of hunters also do consume like factory farmed meat and things like that. So the hunting itself may not be contributing to some of the major issues, but there are certainly people who are involved in both sides of this relationship to consuming animals. But factory farming and the type of animal production associated with it and the resulting environmental impact of it is probably unlike anything else we've ever seen as it relates to the human consumption of animals. There are animals bred specifically to be eaten. Uh, There are massive issues with water contamination. The food supply itself becomes tainted because um, there used to be a practice, I don't know if it's still in place anymore, called rendering, where essentially cows were fed dead cow, which was one of the things that contributed to the mad cow outbreak, Um, it's kind of gross. It's kind of real bad.
0: Yeah, global warming is projected to commit over one third of the Earth's animal and plant species to extinction by 2050, if we kind of keep on the track that we're on right now. And so I suppose, as opposed to criticizing hunters, taking a second to look at any of the Activities that we partake in that's contributing to that global warming might be indirectly. I don't think that makes it okay, though. Killing more animals than any one individual hunter would be.
1: Yeah, there's two real big things that are contributing to the global warming climate change process. Um, One is the destruction of the Amazon for space to produce more cattle in South America and then after that, all the cow farts, <laughs> but there's a sizable impact from all the CO2 that's coming out of their buttholes. So all of these things together are making things really unpleasant. I really hope you got a great visual from that.
0: <laughs> so maybe that's the solution. If hunters want to hunt, they should be going after cows.
1: Sure. If there were such a thing as like wild cows, there's like a few highland breeds in Scotland. <laughs> I don't know if there's a,
0: a wild Jersey cow or something like that. Apparently there aren't any wild lions anymore either. We're we're hunting canned lions. We can do the same thing with cows. So this all sounds horrible. (laughs) Is there anything we could do about it? It certainly, as we go through the episode, sounds as though there's at least glimmers of hope here and there that hunting can be done in a productive way. Saskia, do you have any ideas in terms of if you were in South Africa or you in the United States and you were to be setting out hunting regulations, would you allow any hunting, Uh, is the answer to ban it completely? Or would you allow hunting in a certain way? Or would you allow all hunting?
2: Yeah, I think, unfortunately, the U.S. and South Africa are pretty different. I feel like the regulations I would put in place would be quite different just based upon our um, socioeconomic status. For example, in South Africa, they need the money to protect the lands. Here in the U.S., we kind of have an abundance of money, and you know, there's no problem in really protecting the lands, except for you know when we're the wildlife funds are running low from the government, and then we need hunters. But if I were to make any regulations, um, which they it'd be very similar to the ones they have in South Africa. So basically, only adult animals are allowed to be hunted, and that means those that have. You know, been able to breed. They've been able to reproduce and have offspring and therefore contribute genetics to the next generation. Unfortunately, since that is a regulation there in South Africa, the problem comes about, is, do these reserve managers know how to age an animal correctly? Can they look at a lion and say, oh yeah, that one's past its peak. It's definitely ready to be hunted now. Um, the answer is usually they don't. They're taking a guess, and unfortunately, they're not always right, but they're trying their best to only let adult animals who have really passed their peak be hunted, which I think makes it more of an ethical practice.
0: But from our conversation earlier, it seems like you would not allow farm canned hunting.
2: No, that one's just a little bit different because of the fact that the hunters are just given this lion on a silver platter. It To me, it's just morally unethical to do that. The animal's not even given a chance to escape, really, since it is in an enclosure. And also, usually those operations, they are not sending the genetics of those animals to other reserves. Whereas most of the hunting reserves, they'll very regularly buy new stock from other farms, or they'll sell some of their stock to other farms just to keep the genetics different and to prevent any inbreeding. Whereas canned hunting, they don't really care about that. They don't care if the lion is inbred and has these medical issues because the hunters just want to kill a lion. They don't care if it, it looks weird or anything. So to me, I feel like the canned hunting just isn't as ethical.
0: I'm curious too. So you're recently graduated from vet school, going to be a veterinarian. Um, it seems that you would be opposed to hunting on face value. Did this current position of yours? Is this the thoughts that you had going on to your trip or is this something that you kind of came to throughout your time over there?
2: Yeah, no, this is all completely new to me. Um, one of the reasons I went to South Africa was to try and understand why trophy hunting is such a big deal um, because it is so controversial here in the United States. And I've never hunted in my life. I never plan to hunt. Um, I just, I, it doesn't sit well with me, but going to South Africa, I went with an open mind to try and understand why hunting is so important there. And I feel like that's what I got. I under, I now understand why hunting is such, is so important. I would still never do it. I would still go to a safari or participate in some other ecotourism. Um, but because of all the benefits that the locals have told me about and how it truly is aiding conservation, I now understand why the hunting is important.
0: Mm. And Kelly how about you? I know you wouldn't eat an animal, but if if I offered to eat a deer if you killed it, if that deer was part of a overpopulated species, would you go hunting or would you support hunting?
1: Well, it depends on so many different things. First, is there no other food for you?
0: None that tastes as good.
1: <laughs> have you eaten deer? I have. Yeah, I think I may have as a child too. Even after I stopped eating meat, somebody brought venison to my boss when I worked in my old office and he kept it in the freezer at work for like months. And I was like, this is just going to go to waste. And I thought so hard, like, oh, should I just like take it? It's not going to get eaten. It would be a waste. And it would be a a dishonor to that animal's death that, you know, it ends up in the landfill. So hunting, I don't know. I don't, I I don't plan to hunt on your behalf, Josh. (laughs) Like I'll (laughs) just put that out there. I think you're doing okay, but there's a few things where certain criteria can be met in which I would condone hunting, or maybe even participate in it myself. First, I don't eat meat, but I do think that other people can make their own choices about their relationships to eating animals, and I I can't begrudge them for that. But there are uh, cultural practices, like I mentioned earlier, that I think are really important to preserve and allow people to express in a way that's deeply meaningful for them, and we have no right to infringe upon that. I also think that sometimes people have to eat meat out of necessity and hunting their own prey because of survivalism reasons I think is probably the most noble way possible to eat an animal. And after this conversation I think I'm I think I might be persuaded that the trophy hunting in the legitimate not canned context but legitimate conservation interaction might actually be unnecessary way to help these animal populations and keep biodiversity in sub-Saharan Africa.
0: Mm. I think if it were up to me, I would just allow all hunting as long as the person doesn't use a weapon larger than the weapon quote of the animal. If you're going to hunt a rhino, you get a spear that's the size of a rhino horn. (laughs) And if, if you can kill it good for you. If you're going to hunt a deer, you get something the size of the deer's antlers. And if you can go out there and kill that deer with a, with your own antler spear, you deserve it. That's my solution.
1: Okay. Can I film it and then sell the video and use that for conservation purposes as well?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, with, with obviously now that we've come to the perfect solution for hunting, I think that we've pretty much concluded the episode and I wanted to thank Saskia one more time for coming on. We really appreciate your thoughts, sharing your experiences over from South Africa with us.
2: Yeah, of course. I had a great time chatting with you guys. And, you know, a lot of these things aren't really discussed in the mainstream media in the U S it's just activists showing these lion heads on a platter and they don't go over the benefits that the hunting can have on conservation. So I'm happy to talk about it.
0: And I know that you share some of the posts from your recent trip, as well as just animal medicine and interesting animal facts in general on your Instagram. We can share some of those pictures on our social media, which is at Facebook and Twitter at Indubitably pod, but also maybe you could share your Instagram handle and people can go and look at some of your trips and some of the things we've been talking about there as well.
2: Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, my Instagram handle is, Dogter, so so D O G T O R underscore Saskia.
0: I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) And Saskia's S A S K I A.
1: Yes, yes. You know, Josh, thinking about your little, um, I don't know, Thunderdome way that you want to interact with animals in the future, that we are given the equivalent weapon to whatever natural capabilities an animal possesses, reminds me of this uh, pretty interesting quote from someone I think you might get along with. Ron Swanson? No, unfortunately, Ron Swanson is not real. But this guy named Carl who punched a bear is absolutely real.
0: Okay, (laughs) What, what did Carl say?
2: The man or beast that I run from ain't been born and his mama's already dead.
0: My boy Carl.